Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Dino Kolnich with my wisdom teeth in the nether realm. There's Deontay Olive with his wisdom teeth, I think, still in his mouth. I don't know if I have wisdom teeth. <laughs> we're we're going to find out soon. Okay. And uh, this is, that makes us binge thinking. Uh, it's first snow of winter. Yeah, it is snowing outside, and I really don't know how to feel about it. I personally love it. I See, mean, skiing it's, season it's is cool be because it's a whole new season of different outfits, but like at the same time, <laughs> cold. <laughs> so. Yeah, the cold is, and walking funny because my foot hurts, but. Also, like the snow is being driven over, so it's turned to slush. Yeah, no, my mom called me after she left. She was like, be careful. I almost slid into a car. Yeah, no fun. Oh, okay. That was a fun gesture from that passerby. What are we discussing today? Uh, We're talking about that. That one time, you know, that one time the Nazis invaded the U.S. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. one, yeah. That one time that went really, really well oh, for them. it went so well for them. I'm sure they had a fun time. It, it did not go well. Spoiler <laughs> alert. They, it was really they did not, not have a fun time. Yeah. Um, but we should begin at the beginning of wow. World War II. Oh, okay. Um, where, as we most, most of us know, the day that lives in infamy... The 7th of December, 1941, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor uh, with a couple hundred planes, a couple battle carrier aircraft carriers, and pretty much decimated our base at Pearl Harbor. I think they got something like 18 battleships. I, I just want to know why they thought that was a good idea. Because land. Yes, but the sun twice. Well, they we didn't even know we were going to do that at that time. Yeah, well, you know. If they don't know our plan, and we don't know our plan. Then nobody knows our plan. Which <laughs> means they don't know our plan. Yeah. Um, yeah, the U.S. on December 8th, the day after, declared war on Japan. And, you know, because of that, on December 11th, Germany and Italy, who were allies with Japan, declared war on the U.S. And... Since then, and kind of after that, America's role in the war was largely just industry. They just were sending ships over to Britain. They were sending food over there, supplies, tanks, all that kind of stuff. Because I think at one point in the war, we could crank out a Sherman tank like every 40 minutes. It was We it were was unmatched. It was insane. Yeah, no. 100%. I think we need that kind of like economy back. Well, we do. Like Ford can crank out. I, there's some car company. I think Toyota can crank out a car re- 30 seconds, 45 seconds. But a Toyota is an American. Nissan opened a factory in Tennessee, and I don't know how to feel about it. Neither do I. I think that we should, like, ban using foreign factories. Sure, it's more expensive here, but, like, I think it'd be a really good economy boost. Or a massive detriment, and I'm not entirely sure yet. Well, yeah, no. I bet you there's some, like, economist scientists that probably put a lot of thought into that. Yeah, I bet you the president has an advisor on that. Mm-hmm. That makes way too oh, much guaranteed. money for what he does, or she does, or they do. I don't know. I don't know anymore. Um, anyway, uh, America's American industry—that's where I was—was uh, was really good, unmatched. And Germany said, "Hey, we don't like that you're really good at that, and you're making us lose the war. So we're gonna try and not let you do that anymore." And their brilliant idea was to start spying on the U.S. and start doing 
some infiltration and blow up industry targets that apparently was ordered by Hitler himself. I couldn't find any hard proof. Ooh, you know your problem when the order comes straight from the big man. Oh, yeah, no. But we weren't yeah. even like actively fighting and no. we were making that big of an Headway, issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sabotage was the preferred method of choice. And um, there it was headed by this one man. Uh, this one man went by the name of Lieutenant Walter Kapp. I'm pretty sure is how you say that. Yeah, Kapp, maybe Kappe. I don't yeah. know. Still perfecting my German. Yeah. Of the Abwehr Second or Two, or Intelligence Two, which uh, I'm guessing is his division. His division, probably, yeah. Um, and was in charge of the entire project. Uh, he was experienced in the U.S. because he had lived there for a few years pre-war and other experience within, with propaganda to win Germans in America over to Nazism. So he kind of... Yeah, he was... He had he had the qualifications. I did sneak in a pun there. I am very sorry. I've never gotten such a disappointed look from anyone <laughs> other than my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways... He was also a member of the Oslin Institute, which originally was the headquarters of making Germans abroad part of the... Okay. Everybody brace yourself. This is going to be an amazing pronunciation. Here we go. Hold on. Let me, let me read it first. Dino, keep me in some... How many letters is there? Too Three, many. 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, 21, 24, 27, 36, 40, 43, 46... 49, 52. There's 52 letters. Keep them and in. And I'm counting 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 vowels. I'm going to need you to like keep them entertained with some fun facts real quick while I just read it a couple of times. Okay. We're going to come back to that while Deontay reads it. But this, uh, this cap guy, he was... Uh, he was a little, he knew his stuff, all right? He had friends in high and low places. So he got into contact with a bunch of different people who consented to the operation, like willfully consented, I believe, but they didn't know what they were getting into. And most of the people were civilians, but there were two from the German army and all of them had experience in America. Okay, I think I have a somewhat respectable understanding okay. of this. Shoot. National Socialist Deutsche Arbeiter Party. I think that was solid. I think it's okay. I, I think don't know. that was really good, actually. To our German listeners, if there are any on this one, if I butchered that, I'm I'm so unbelievably sorry. Yeah. I'm gonna, hang on, I want to give it a shot. Um, that was called the NSDAP, or the it was basically the early Nazi party. Hang on. National Socialist Socialistisch. National Socialistisch Deutsch Abarparte. I don't know. Without any reading, that's my attempt. Mm. Okay. Um, in total, there would be 12 people chosen to go uh, sabotage a school near Berlin where they got to told to a sabotage school. <laughs> not sabotage a school. <laughs> <laughs> no, little children. One plus one equals four. <laughs> We will defeat them by making their children stupid. <laughs> We're going to go sabotage a school as your first project. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, 
they went to a sabotage school near Berlin where they got told what they were going to be doing. Uh, the 12 people were taught in chemistry, incendiaries, explosives, timing devices, identity concealment, and secret writing. Writing this milk. This sounds like something you'd see on, like, Groupon. <laughs> like, find one lesson for, like, 20 bucks. This feels... <laughs> I feel like... I could also find the same thing on Fiverr. Yeah, like, or like Craigslist. For, for $20, we'll teach you how to make an incendiary device out of candles and scissors. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, this sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Uh, according to one report from MI15, MI5, <laughs> I'm tired, okay? <laughs> um, they can make timers from dried peas, lumps of sugar, and razor blades. Not sure how that would work. Neither but I. I'm not going to argue with it. Nope. So. Uh, the new saboteurs were taken to different plants, shops, canals, locks, factories, and other industrial points to learn weaknesses of these places. So I guess just like different places around Germany so they could see like, if it's similar in America to Germany, then this is where it is weak. Like probably looking at the boilers and stuff where it would detonate really easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there were maps handed out to locate American targets and to locate all sorts of weak spots, like weak spots in railroads, in waterways, industrial plants. Um, and everybody was getting ready for this landing. They were all pumping themselves up, you know, slapping each other on the back. Um, they also had to memorize every instruction because we'll see later. They wanted to land as if they got caught as prisoners of war, not as spies, and you get treated better as a prisoner of war than a spy, which we will see. It didn't matter either way because most of them got a pretty bad treatment. But yeah, not a fun day at the office. No, no, for sure, definitely not. Um, there were ah, they were all t- also told to commit in quotes small acts of terrorism if there is such a thing, like blowing up small shops and luggage depots, but they were taught not to cause death or injure people because that wouldn't benefit Germany. So how do you blow things up without injuring people? You blow, like, when nobody's there, I guess. Mm. So Mm -hmm. you wait until the people leave. And I think they were told to target, like, Jewish shops and businesses when they blew them up just because, like, keep the mission going overseas. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no. Either way, it was not good at all. <laughs> Does not sound like it. No, not at all. Uh, each group, there were two groups, they were also given, I saw anywhere from 80 grand to $175,200 in then money, which is about $3.2 million today. Mm. So a sizable end. investment. At the high end, it's um, $3.2 million today. At the low end, it's just over a million, I think. Gotcha. So either way, it was a lot of cash, and it was enough to finance two years of spying and sabotage. Uh, and the operation was nicknamed Pastorius after Franz Daniel Pastorius, who settled in the first permanent who settled the first permanent German American settlement in America, in wait for it, Germantown, Pennsylvania, which is in modern day Phil- er, which is now modern day Philadelphia. In 1683. That just seems overly convoluted. (laughs) 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 All right. Anyways. They landed. Right. They landed on May 26th of 1942. The first group of four left by U-boat U-201 from 
Lorient France with another group of four leaving two days later from the same place on U-202, each going to a different place on the Atlantic coast of the U.S. The names of those U-boats sound like highways. They really do. Um, the first group landed on a Long Island beach near Amagansett. I don't even know. I was um, going to say Amagansett. It's probably one of those, yeah. Around 12.10 in the morning on June 13th. The group was led by a 39-year-old man named George John Dosh, along with Ernest Peter Berger, or Berger, I don't know, uh, who was 36, and Heinrich Harm Heinck, uh, who was 35. And finally, Richard Quirin, who was 34. It's like trying to say quinoa. Yeah. Quinoa? Quinoa. Quinoa. <laughs> Um, the second group was led by Edward John Curling, who was 33, and landed at Pontevedra Beach in Florida on June 17th. The group also had Warner Teal, who was 35, Herman Otto Nabauer, who was 32, and Herbert Hans Haupt, who was 22. That's the young one of the group. That is, yeah. He's almost, he's 11 years younger than the leader. Yeah. That's a big, and all, the leader of the other group was 40, so mm -hmm. that's... Um, both groups had at least partial German uniforms to make sure they got treated like prisoners of war rather than spies if they got caught while landing. Um, the Florida group landed without being noticed, so they got rid of their uniforms and buried them along with the sabotage supplies and put on some civilian clothes. Yeah. Um, would you like to, you know, carry about what you saw? Sure. Read on? Uh, I actually, before I do that, I saw that, um... The group who landed in Florida might have landed in just swimming trunks and German Navy hats, which would be a sight to see. Like, a you see a U-boat surface, it disappears, and then four dudes in the swimming trunks and Nazi hats walk up on the beach. Haven't showered in, like, a month. <laughs> <laughs> They've been at sea for a month. You oh, can man. smell them from down the beach. Oh no, you probably could. If you had a if you had a wind down if you were up. Oh yeah, no, you, you were know. getting all that musk. It was bad. <laughs> musk is musk. I hate the word musk it's so much. It's really funny. It's just a such a weird word. It really I hate is. the word vomit too. Yeah, I find that most words for up chucking <laughs> <laughs> give me a weird tingle on the inside. <laughs> But you know, maybe <laughs> tingle on the inside. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> um, blowing chunks. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, when they finally finished landing, the Florida group, uh, they worked their way up to Jacksonville. I think they, it said they caught a Greyhound up to Jacksonville. Oh, okay. And then they hopped a train to Cincinnati where two, they split up, so two would go to Chicago and the other two went to New York City. But the group who landed at Amagansett, Long Island, otherwise I'm going to call them the New York group, Yeah, they were not so lucky. Okay, let's, let's explain let's, why let's they weren't so lucky. Let's yeah. get into this. When they attempted to land, their boat got stuck in a sandbar 100 yards off the coast. Could you imagine making it the whole such a and 300 feet from your destination sandbar? And then it was their submarine too. Like I just yeah. apparently there were reports of people like from the beach seeing this U-boat trying to get unstuck off the sandbar because 300 feet is nothing. And you, yeah. it, dude, what 
the alarm that would raise if you saw a U-boat 300 feet offshore. Especially in like the heat of World War II. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but anyways, um, the group got into a rubber boat and worked their way to the beach where they worked under the cover of fog to bury the sabotage supplies and uniforms. Unfortunately, 21-year-old John Cullen, a U.S. Coast Guardsman, caught them. The foreman quickly changed into fisherman's outfits before Dash went out to meet Culler. Uh, Dosh, remember, is the leader of this group that landed on Long Island. Yes. Culler grew suspicious as Dosh told the story of lost fishermen without a fishing license. Uh, eventually, he gave up and said, forget this, and I will give you some money, and you can have a good time. That was in quotes. Yes. Uh, he gave Culler $260, or you know, equivalent today, $4,734.36, and left. Culler ran back to the CG station and told everyone that there's Nazis on the beach, in quotes, and used the bribe money as proof. A search party was organized to find the men and found the cash, along with that. Yeah. Uh, but they had already boarded the 657 or 659 AM train to New York City. Either way, they were long gone by the so that search party got there. got the money and snitched. He really played them. <laughs> <laughs> he got five grand, too. Yeah. That's a lot. But he, that's the thing. He's told the other people about it. He's like, hey, look, I got bribed. Here's this money. Like, did they confiscate that or not? Is that just no, his money knowing, still? Knowing the U.S. government and bureaucracy, they probably confiscated it. Yeah. Because, like, that's a that's a chunk of cash. Darn no, shame. I, I would probably, if I was him, though, I'd for probably reporting, slip a for couple For reporting U-boat Nazis trying to sabotage the U.S., I think he's allowed to keep that five grand. I I would hope so. But, like, even if he didn't, I would, if it was me, I would slip, like, a couple bills into my back pocket before I went in. Yeah, no, like, if I, if I had said I was getting bribed, I would have slipped, like, $250 of that <laughs> <laughs> into my back pocket. Look, guys, they bribed me with $10. This is proof. Guys, guys, like, look, look, obviously there's Nazis on the beach. $10, come on. This is irrefutable proof. Yep. But $260 on a Coast Guardsman's salary, that's yes. proof. <laughs> that's good money. Um, when the group arrived in New York City, they split in two, with two going to a hotel across the street from Penn Station, and the other two uh, in a different hotel. Would you like to give a quick little recap? I would love to recap so far. All right. Operation Pastorius, so far for the Germans, is on track. All right. They sailed for a month in a stuffy submarine all the way to America, didn't get caught. They had a little trouble on a sandbar, the Long Island group. So where did that U-boat disappear off to? Back to Germany. So they finally got it off the sandbar. Oh, yeah. No, it got it got unstuck, and it went back to Germany. Got both it. the U-boats. Uh, yeah. they've both, both groups have landed successfully so far. Both groups have buried all their s- supplies. Uh, the Long Island group's supplies was found, and eventually the Florida group's f- supplies were found too, I think, after interrogation. Uh, the Florida group is on their way to industrial targets in Cincinnati, St. Louis, Philly, as well as canals and locks on the Mississippi River. And the New York City group has escaped by the skin of their teeth and is safe for now in some various hotels in New York City, but they don't know that their supplies are long gone. So the right. New York City group was just sloppy. I I don't know about sloppy. Or just unlucky. Or just unlucky. Yeah. Because that, f- apparently the Coast Guardsman was just, he's ju- he's what they call a sand pounder, in quotes. Uh, he's just out there to watch for U-boats surfacing specifically. So they got caught by the guy that was specifically trained to catch them. <laughs> <laughs> like, all he had was a flashlight, and he still ruined their whole operation. Oh, man. Yeah. All Dude right. did his job. 
All right, let's move forward. The Florida group, they were more targeting specific targets for like industrial purposes. They were targeting strategic places, but the New York City group was targeting more, I guess I would say symbolic places, not so much strategic as like just trying to send a message. They targeted places like the Hellgate Bridge, the Newark Penn Station, the New York Water Supply, which was Ooh. after um, the government was like, yeah, that's a pretty vulnerable place. So they beefed it up with 430 extra guards and patrolmen. So I don't know how they were going to do that. And the Horseshoe Curve in Altoona, Pennsylvania, which was is a symbolic set of three railroad tracks in a curve that's 2,375 feet long and 1,300 feet in diameter, in diameter, and it covers eight acres of land. If you get a chance, if you're not driving, look this up, the horseshoe curve. It's like insane. It's a feat of engineering. It's really cool. Oh, are you looking it up? Si, senor. It's really cool. Let's see. Where are you? Where? Altoona. Yeah. Like I said, if you're not driving, look this up. It's really cool. Mm. Yeah, no. It's just this massive bend of railroad tracks. And it's three parallel tracks going in one huge curve. That's I like. 2,300 like miles. Like That's almost a half mile length curve. Yeah. I like how it's like on some water too. With like a nice. Dude, that'd be such a pretty picture. Wow. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a good that's picture nice. right there. That'd win a, that would win a. Anyway, the award is for photography. I don't think it's a Pulitzer. I think, I think it's a Pulitzer Prize. Oh, for photography? Yeah, I think so. Oh, you learn something new every day. Yeah. Um, both groups were gonna plan to bury their stuff, secure their location. You know, plan it out. Like this was supposed to be a long operation. If they had funding for two years, they were gonna like go plan it out, make sure they had everything set, then come back for their supplies. And the Florida group is now in Cincinnati. So, like, they were a long way from where they buried their stuff. Also, I don't know how they kept track of where all their stuff was. Because mm. it was just buried on a beach somewhere. But, yeah, they were supposed to be there for a while. Um, where was I? Aha. So, this is where it starts to go wrong. This is where it starts to slip, fall apart and everything slips through the cracks. And Mr. Dosh... What did he do, Deontay? Mr. Oh. Dosh had an idea. He decides it'd be a really funny prank <laughs> to turn himself into the FBI. Um, he got this idea, and when he checked into his hotel with Mr. Berger, he told Mr. Berger of his plan to defect from Germany and report himself. Yeah. And apparently, he told Berger that he could either join him in his plans or be killed. Um, That's the words I want to hear as soon as I just started my mission. <laughs> yeah, so Mr. Sandwich agreed, and they hatched a plan <laughs> to turn themselves in, uh, hoping to get clemency. Uh, now, Dosh called the FBI under the nickname Pastorius, saying he was here recently from Germany and would call the FBI when he got to Washington the following week. Um, when he got there on June 18th, he called the FBI headquarters and stated his identity as the man who called the New York office. Um, so, you know, real bold move here. He's decided yeah. to... He's going guns out. All the cards on the table. He's beat all chips just in the yeah. middle of the pile. Um, I saw ooh, I saw that he called, like, the quote-unquote nut desk, which sounds really bad. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Explain, <laughs> but, please. Um, it's the telephone desk where they, like, 
they handle the calls from people who are like just trying to get a claim to fame where they call just to like say hey i'm a nazi <laughs> and just call the fbi to oh, make the a crazies. Fake, fake tip off yeah crazies gotcha apparently he called them oh so literally like the nut job desk <laughs> yeah the nut job desk and he got told off and like they didn't take him seriously so when he went to call them again he didn't get put through and he had to like really push to get put through. He got like five minutes of the director's time to explain his case. And he was like, look, I'll even prove it to you. And he opened his suitcase with three and a half million dollars in cash. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um, so when he arrived in uh, Washington on June 18th, he called the local FBI headquarters and stated his identity as the man. Oh, I already said this part. Yeah, you did. Okay. He gave his location, uh, room 351 of the Mayflower Hotel, and asked to speak to director Edgar J. Hoover and was denied, as you just yeah. you know, gave a little fun little tidbit about. Mm -hmm. um, over the next two days, the FBI agents interrogated Dosh in his hotel room with a lie detector, and he told them everything, as well as handing over all the cash. Oh, Again, and yet we're still in the debt. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI took him into their custody, custody, and within two weeks, the entire spiring was in jail. That fell apart quickly. One domino, man. One domino. Yeah, no. I mean, that was thank, supposed to go for two thank years goodness. And it lasted two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like thank goodness. Thank, yeah. Like you said, that could have gone a lot worse. Like. Mm -hmm. Now I'm imagining is Man in the High Castle, you know the show on Prime Video. Yeah, is that based around I haven't this? watched it yet, but I really want to. I do too, because like it's it's really so we explain to our viewers, like if they don't have an idea of what it's about. Uh yeah, you can do it. So it's about like um if World War Two had not gone particularly in our favor and the Nazis had won and they had split the entire U.S. with Japan, so I think the Nazis own like the western portion, the eastern portion, eastern Cause, portion, because like oh yeah, and Japan's in like San Francisco, yeah. Well, I think just like it makes sense for the Nazis to have the side of the country that's closest to them. And same with <laughs> Japan, why would they want to cross <laughs> over them? Anyways, and there's like a boundary, like barrier zone in the middle of them, and it's like kind of neutral. It's like the Wild West, but like legal. Anyway, really interesting show topic. Um, I really want to check it out here soon. Yeah, no, it looks really cool. And I'm imagining, like, if they had actually gotten this done, would they have, like, totally turned over the war on its head? And would the U.S. have been invaded instead? Like, It's a weird thought. Because, like, I'm thinking, if this had happened and Britain stopped getting supplies, Hitler probably would have won the Battle of Britain. Britain would oh, fall. 100%. If I'm Britain falls, the U.S. would probably fall. I... I Europe is cool, but I'm just going to say it. Without our help in World War II, they would have collapsed. Oh, no, 100%. Yeah, no. Like, like Russia might have been supplies to Yeah, Britain. Russia could have held out for a little bit longer, but, like, their strategy of just throwing men at a war would well, eventually... Actually, they weren't... They had good strategists. Like, you remember Stalingrad? They captured well, yeah, 600,000. Like, yeah, that was a, a good win for them. Yeah. But they do have a bit of a notorious history of kind of just... They're stubborn, for sure. ...putting people in the meat grinder. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that analogy, but it's true. It um, is a meat grinder, though. It is brutal. Um, would you like to describe the failure? What went wrong? Evil failure. <laughs> failure. <laughs> Emotional damage. <laughs> okay. um, we're quoting Stephen He. We're not. We're not racists. <laughs> it's Stephen He on YouTube. Go yeah. go check him out. He is funny. Not sponsored. No, not sponsored. But he's cool. Yeah. Um. 
like we said, no damage was done to any of the targets, but public media, boy, did they have a heck of a time with the story. They ran rampant. They Nazi boats were on our shores. Yeah, no, they were throwing the public into like disarray. Cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. Nazi boats. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Uh, there was a military tribunal, which is like a military hearing. It's presided over by only military personnel. Gotcha. Uh, that was called for the first time since, as far as I could see, for the first time since Lincoln's assassination. Good God. That's like <laughs> 70 years or so? <laughs> so? Yeah, 60 to 40. Yeah, that's 80 years. It's a good chunk of time. That is, yeah. It's a big chunk of time. Uh, our last one, I believe, was in 2004. Can't remember why, but yeah. Um too late for 9-11. Yeah, what could that have been for? I think it, there was probably like something wrong with the rules of operation overseas, like somebody in Afghanistan. Probably something going on in the Middle East. Yeah. Somebody in Afghanistan probably murdered somebody else in cold blood. Yeah. Something like that. Overstepped their boundaries. It's really unfortunate, yeah. Um, all eight of the defendants pled guilty under the argument that they volunteered they just wanted to get back to America to be with their families. They didn't, like you said, they didn't know what they were getting into. Yeah. So they were just like, hey, we are guilty, but we didn't know what we were getting into. We just thought we were going to go see our families again. Um, of course, the director of the FBI didn't believe that. So all eight got the death penalty. And Mr. Hoover himself was like, hey, media, calm, calm, Kakuna, your matatas, because it was just. It was brilliant police work, actually. All the detectives, everybody did just a fantastic job. And you GIs overseas, we've got everything handled. Don't even worry about that. Um, When it was literally one dude who just gave them everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dash and Berger, who gave themselves up, they never got clemency. Uh, Hoover even considered the death penalty for them, even though the, his entire case was built on these two guys. Yeah, which is like incompetence to the nth degree. Um, the attorney general of the tribunal, though, his name was Francis Biddle. He got in the way, and he reduced Dasha's sentence to thirty years and Berger's sentence to life, which is, I mean, still not great. Oh um, man. The other six were taken to the D.C. jail and executed by electric chair. Each execution took roughly 14 to 15 minutes. So this time. was like an immediate like execute. This isn't one of those like death penalties where you I sit don't there, think there was any bureaucracy and you wait for like 40 years on the death row. Like this was like an immediate. I don't think there was any bureaucracy. They were like, we're at war. You guys are Nazi spies. Goodbye. I mean, I understand it, but like, you know, it's still rough. It's rough like that we treat criminals of war that way. Like, it's immediately over, but we have people who might not even be guilty on death row right now and have been there for most of their lives. Yeah, no. Yeah, there's a whole lot of instances of people being locked up wrongly for, like, 45 years of their life. Yeah, isn't Just Mercy about that? It might be. And then they come out, and the government's like, oh, sorry about that. Here's, like, 1.5 million. Hope it makes it all better. And it's like, this person spent nearly a half century in prison for something they didn't do. But, you know, anyways... That's more of a court system issue. Yeah, no, it is. Just Mercy is about that. Just Mercy, I want to recommend it. The book and the movie are both really, really good. Yeah. If you have a, if you have a couple hours, go go look at those. All right. Um, what happened to Doschenberger? So, uh, lastly, guards stood in front of the ambulances that carried their bodies away. I guess trying to prevent media yeah. and stuff like well, that. They still got photos. You can go see the photos of the ambulance. I don't know why you would want to. 
No, I wouldn't. Yeah, no. I did, unfortunately, but I wouldn't. Um, after six years of their sentence, Dosh and Berger were released and both sent to West Germany under treatment as pariahs. Pariahs are just like outcasts. Yeah. Like, they were not welcome. Yeah, like, you can go, but like, you know, we don't like you. We're not going to step in and say anything because we know people are going to treat you like dog poop. Yeah, but we're not going to help you. Um, now, Dosh and his family were chased from down to town as traitors and he printed his story in a memoir that was mostly ignored and he had like his own business in some towns and as well yeah and then proceeded to get chased out of town mm-hmm. um for years after the war ended uh Dash tried to get a pardon to get back into the u.s and continue his life but hoover kept stopping him and he ended up dying in germany not the happy ending we wanted really just a sucky story i like this is one of those situations where i do actually feel bad for the german soldiers yeah. because they really did not know they just wanted to get back to their families yeah yeah no they did not know what they were getting themselves into no no it's really i mean i guess like you know they did agree after being approached by german soldiers like hey you want to go to our special school do you want to go sabotage a school i mean go to a sabotage <laughs> school <laughs> but yeah no tough yeah. situation all around I'm sorry about that. Um, um, sources. sources. Yes. Uh, the FBI website, which wow. I was really surprised that this was published on the FBI website, considering it's like a case. And also it's the FBI. Yeah. Um, FBI.gov. History.com had a good article on it. Uh, and Smithsonian Magazine also had a really good article on this. It was actually really in-depth. It was really good. Um, I don't have anything else, Deontay. Do you? Uh, I think I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am going to just keep staring at the snow that's falling like a winter miracle. Mm. I'm not going to listen to some Christmas music, but because I'm legally allowed to now. And um, we will see you guys later.